thank you again for the privilege, Lord, to, it is to assemble in a place, a beautiful place, as he was t- teaching in Sunday school this morning, Lord, they were, they were praising and they were praying in prison, and we get to come to an air-conditioned room and padded pews, and we get, and we so, so many times don't praise you and pray like we should, so Lord, help us today to come with that right attitude, the attitude, Lord, of, of gratitude, and then also, Lord, with some expectation about what you're going to do in this place today, Lord, I pray that you'd you, you just bless the singing. I pray that you receive glory from it. I pray a little later as Brother Joe comes to, to, to preach to our hearts, Lord, that you'd take the word of God by the spirit of God and you'd change us, radically transform us, conform us into your image. We'd leave this place different than when we came in. And if there would be one somewhere, Lord, whether in the room, whether outside on the radio or whether watching by live stream who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they get it settled today. Bless everything that happens. Today we pray, may your name be glorified, lifted up, and magnified. And it's in that name that's above every name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Please stand as we sing.
And I really want to share a quick quote, actually, before we sing our next song. I heard this line. It was, Christians are the only people that can say they're going to heaven and not be self-righteous. Because it's, it's not what we have done, but what Jesus has done. So let's sing, I will sing of my Redeemer. to the side of you.
How many of you are thankful there's peace in the midst of the storm? You know, Jesus said, for John 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. How many think we don't have to go in your own peace, that you can go off Jesus' peace? And I'm still thinking of Philippians 4, and verses 6 and 7. And he tells us, you know, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, we just talked about that during Sunday school. Let your requests be known unto God. And listen to the promise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, so keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thankful for that peace. We're going to have our moment of prayer here and preparation of our hearts for uh, the last song and then the, the worship service. Here's what I want you to do this morning. If you've been through a situation, a storm like that, and God uh, himself gave you his peace, just take a moment or two and just thank him for it this morning. Maybe you're going through one right now. Hey, just go ahead and claim it. He'll give you his peace and help you through it. And let's do that this morning as we pray.
Lord, today, no matter what the burden of each and every heart is in this place today, and we want to thank you that we have not just peace, but your peace. Lord, waiting on us to comfort us, to strengthen us, to be our rock, our refuge, our fortress through the trial. And Lord, we're thankful that you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. We're thankful today. You said, cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. And today, we, you will be our peace if we just give that to you. And Lord, as we get ready now for the last worshipful song in preparation for the, the most important thing, the teaching and the preaching of the word of God today, I pray that, Lord, right now we just take the cares of this world, cast them aside. We'd focus in, dig in on exactly what you have for us from your word today. And, Lord, I, as I prayed earlier, I pray that we'd just leave this place changed. Lord, help us to learn intellectually, but, Lord, uh, even, even more so, just work in our heart and change us radically from the inside out. Lord, be at the last song, and Brother Joe, as he comes to preach right after that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This song? There we go. Amazing Grace, my chains are gone.
Good morning. All right. Well, normally when I walk up here, everything squawks and squeaks, but it, hey, that didn't do it that time. I kind of missed it almost. Um, <laughs> if you got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 this morning. It's nice to see everyone here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and extend my hand to you. Hi, I'm Joe. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. All right. See, it's good to have somebody excited for preaching this morning, y'all. Y'all, y'all sit closer to that baby over there. You might catch some excitement. That's what I'm talking about. I like it. First Corinthians chapter number one. We're going to look today at the centrality of the cross. And this morning, God has just proven exactly how central the cross is by how He's fixated the songs and sing about Christ's sacrifice and His bloodshed. I want you to know it's not just songs that we sing, but it's a real deal. Christ literally shed his blood on Calvary for you. Christ died not just for everybody else that's good or for all the church people, but Christ died for you today, regardless of who you are, where you are, what you look like, act like, smell like, talk like. Christ died for you today. And we're going to see that today, in today's day and age, it is small town, big city, regardless of where you are, we need the preaching of the cross. Now, we need so many other things, of course, we could say, but if there's one central thing that we can put forth, it's the cross of Christ. You see, if we were to strip down everything else, we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school this morning. If we were to take away the pews, we took away the nice lights and the sound system, and we took away everything else. And by the way, there's more churches in the world that are meeting like that today than are. There's more believers today who are sitting in huts and shacks with dirt floors, never held a full Bible or a hymn book in their hand, certainly never wore one of these ties. <laughs> yes, I know I didn't wear, my, didn't wear my jacket either, but you can, that's all right. And yet they still have church. You see, what makes church a church? What makes Christianity Christianity? Because if you take the cross away from Christianity, it ceases to be Christianity. And if we take the cross away from what we proclaim and what we preach, not just behind the pulpit, mind you, but I'm talking about what we preach in our own personal lives. If we take the cross away, then we are not living a Christian existence. And I'm not talking about let's just be different and bless God and all this stuff. I'm talking about real deal, authentic Christianity that looks at the cross at what Christ has done and knows that we are just receiving mercy being poured out from it and we are but beggars at the feet of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This morning, let's begin. I'm going to read for us verse number 17 down to verse 31. I promise I'm only going to keep you here for about two or three hours. So just get comfortable. I'm just, just kidding. A little. <laughs> verse number 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased, the, it, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, which things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of, him, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you now for the songs that have been lifted and sung this morning. Thank you for you demonstrating your word and, and the centrality of the cross already before we even get to the scripture. But God, as we now come to this time, I pray that you would fill this place with your power and your presence, Lord. That you would fill me with your spirit to preach boldly and accurately according to your word. God, today, if there's one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would save their souls. Lord, if there's one who's struggling with whatever it might be, that they might come to this same cross and lay down their burdens at your feet. Lord, we extend our hands and our cups up to you today, asking that you would fill us with your mercy and with your love and your presence today. Encourage us, chasten us. Lord, challenge us from your word today and have your will in your way, God, that as your word says that you might receive the glory. Lord, help us now to glory in you and in your name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Centrality of the cross. As we look at this, it begins in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of another effect. From the very beginning, we find the cross, the gospel, the two are going hand in hand because you don't have the gospel without the cross. The gospel, what is the gospel? The word gospel means the good news. It is that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what the Apostle Paul said. You say, well, that's only for lost people that need to hear that. No, that's for the saved people today that need to hear it. There's not a day that goes by that a saved soul does not need to be reminded what a wretch we were and how God's amazing grace has saved us through the blood and the work of Christ Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And so I want to look now at verse of all in verse 17 and 18 to see the importance of the preaching of the cross. Notice here, he says, and this is Paul. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Does that mean that Paul never baptized? No, it doesn't. Right? Paul did baptize people, but he's writing to the Corinthians. If you know the Corinthian church, and if you read the rest of the scripture, that's your homework. Go read the rest of this afternoon. You got time, right? right? The rest of this is, is really Paul looking at the church, and he's calling them to repentance. He's calling out their sinfulness, and he's calling them to come back to the way of the cross. There are many ways in this world. And really, though, you could boil them down to two ways. There's a broad way that leads to destruction, and there's many that will go. And there will be many that will be going that way of destruction, that way of sinfulness, that way of the world, because that's the way that we're born going into. But then there's a narrow way. It's a way of the cross. It's a way where all of us are following and we are both walking with Jesus and walking towards Jesus. He is both the one that carries us and he's also our finish line. And we are now called to carry our cross until we see his glorious face. And that's what the Christian walk in life is. And by the way, it does not mean that we will not stumble or fall. It does not mean that we might 
not have a setback or that we might not mess up, but it means that Christ is with us nevertheless all the way, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. The work on the cross, he says it is finished. That means it's finished. It's finished past, present, and future, and there's nothing else that we can do to add or take away or divide from it. It is all about Jesus, it is all about his cross, or it is all nothing and it's all foolishness. If we take away the cross, us gathering here today is foolishness. If we take away the resurrection, this is foolishness. All we've done is had a social club gathering, we've tried to make ourselves feel better. And notice that Paul, he says that I don't just come to baptize and do these works to help you. He said, but I come to preach the gospel. Paul was a preacher. Paul was a pastor. Paul was all of those great things. And notice the one thing that Paul doesn't say. He says, I came to preach to you politics. I, I, he didn't come to preach morality. He didn't come to tell them just how to be a good person and maybe they'll get by into heaven by the skin of their teeth or get, their, get out of hell with a free card, right? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about he's come to preach the cross. Today, if there is something that every preacher should be able to say when they stand behind the pulpit is that I've come to preach the cross. That is my goal, regardless of when we're meeting, how we're meeting, what we're meeting about, what service it is. It's about the cross and what Jesus has done. You go, well, what about the Old Testament? Yeah, it's, it's there. <laughs> in fact, it's looking forward to the cross. You go, what about the New Testament? It's looking at what Christ has done on the cross, and it's looking at what he promised, that he's going to come again. You see, it's central to everything, to our life, to our existence. The cross is not just a decoration that's on the back of the church. It's not just a necklace. It's not just a little decoration you put in your kitchen or your living room to look cute and, you know, look all farmhousey and stuff. No, it's about, it's about Jesus and what he has done. He says, I've not come even to preach the gospel with wisdom of words. If anyone could preach with wise words, it was Paul. Paul had the equivalent of degrees upon degrees. He had more degrees than degree deodorant, okay? I mean, he, he had degrees upon degrees. The man was smart. He could preach, he could expound, he could do all sorts of things and, and do all sorts of big words. And you know something, there's a lot of preachers that can. I've got a couple degrees, and you know what that really means? It just means I spend a lot of time reading a lot of books. At the end of the day, you know what matters? A very simple word that has the greatest meaning in all of human history, and that is the gospel and the cross. It's right there. He says, but I don't come to you with these wise words that I certainly could because I'm here to preach the gospel to you. I'm here to preach the cross to you. And anywhere that calls himself a church that is not preaching the gospel, the true gospel or preaching the cross is not a church and is not preaching. See, we need more preaching today. And I know that there's a lot of you that say, well, we need to, and teaching has its place. But you know something, ultimately what preaching is, that it's a proclamation. The one who comes to open up the word of God is there to be a herald. If I'm doing anything today, it's to sound the trumpet, not of my message, but of the Lord's message. From the very first Old Testament prophet to the very last preacher that will ever live, we are called to preach, thus saith the Lord. And the reason why we're gathered here today is not to hear what I have to say or to you know, see how good I look. And it's not too bad today. It's about the cross. If we're here for any other reason, then go ahead, close everything up, and walk on out because we're here for the wrong reason. It must be the cross. The cross is everything. He says, I must preach it lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Jesus did not die so that we would just live a comfortable life and not have problems or issues. 
Jesus didn't die for our sins that we would go back to them like a dog to vomit. Jesus did not die for our sins that we would complain if the lights aren't right or it's too cold or too hot in the sanctuary. Jesus died to set us free from sin. He died to unite us, to bring us together, not under our banner or our name that might be out there or what we stand on, but he died for us to unite under the banner of the cross. He says, then in verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. That's why if you've been saved today for a very long time, longer than I've been alive, or maybe longer than anybody else here has been alive, you might be saved that long, and you go, I've heard it. You see, one thing that happens to us good Baptist folk is that because we've been in church for so long, we get so used to it, and the gospel ceases to amaze us anymore. The, the, the cross is just now a thing that we sing about, talk about, and we lose the effect of it. The cross has an effect not just on your past, on saving you from your sins, but it's to change you for today and to prepare us for tomorrow. We are carrying our cross until we meet Jesus. Then and only then will we lay it down. Then and only then will we be glorified and be in His presence forevermore. Then and only then will the work be done. The toiling and the, the difficulties and the problems and the issues, the storms and the trials of life. Then and only then. Until then, what do we do? We preach the cross. Why? Because the world today does not need wise words. The world today does not need our political ideologies or opinions. They don't even need our philosophical ideas. They don't even need, believe it or not, a whole bunch more programs. You know what they need? They need the cross. There are some times and some things that we use those tools and resources. I get it. But if you want to see souls saved, if you want lives changed, it's not going to happen through any of those things. It's only going to happen through the preaching of the cross. See, today... You go, well, man, here in our area, there's probably a lot of other people that are in church this morning. There's probably a lot. You know, so there's probably also a lot of people who aren't in church, and there's probably a lot of people who are sitting on pews who may as well not even be in church because their, their mind's already off somewhere else. When we walk in through those back doors, our mind is focused and fixed. The reason why they, I mean, obviously there's a screen right there, but behind that screen, y'all saw earlier there was a cross there for a reason. How about this? When we walk out of here, what should be on our mind still? Well, what's going to be in our mind is probably where we're getting lunch, all these different things in life, what we got to do, how do we got to get ready for the work week. But what should be on our mind when we walk in those doors and out of those doors is the preaching of the cross because it changes us. It affects our entire being and our entire life. And here's what he describes. He says the preaching of the cross to those who perish, it's foolishness. What he does here is he sets up a perception of the cross. There is two classes of people today. There's not even rich or poor, black and white, and everything else in between. There's not all these different letters and alphabet stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about lost and saved. We're talking about those that are perishing and those that are saved. Now, the idea of saved is this. When Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I put my trust in him alone for salvation, which is what you must do today to be born again, or else you are not saved, and you must be born again today. Today is the day of salvation. We look at this, we realize that the preaching of the cross is it. And before we knew Jesus, it was foolishness to us, but to us it's the power of God. And that we used to be in a class of people, the lost world, the perishing world. We even sing a song, it might have been a while since you sang it, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. 
Why? Because there are perishing people. And before Jesus snatched us up and breathed life into us and we trusted him and were saved by his amazing grace, we were a part of those that were perishing. You might have been in church your whole life, but yet the cross to you is still foolishness. But to those of us now who are saved, it is powerful. Let me ask you today, has the cross lost its power in your life? Because the cross is no less powerful, but to you, how far away are you from it? You want to experience the power of the cross? Well, go run to it and and bow down before what Christ has done. Go get before his feet and just thank him. Go receive his mercy and his grace and his goodness today. He says, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And now this class of people, verse 18, uh, kind of sets it up all the way through verse 23. Find, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the, uh, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There's three perceptions of the cross today. There is God's perception. When God looks at the cross, he doesn't see something that was useless. He doesn't even see something that was bad or or even ugly. What he sees is his power displayed. He sees this power and his redemption and his redemptive work of his son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners, to be lifted up and draw all men unto himself. Perception of the cross, God's perception of it is the power. His power is displayed. The power of his wrath being poured out upon his son. The power of the cross to save sinners. The power of the cross to deliver us and to redeem us and to reconcile us, to draw us back to him, that we might know him through what Jesus has done, through his work, not mine. But there's two other perceptions I want to look at this morning that God gives to us here. There's what's called the Jewish perception and the, the, the Greek perception. You see, in these days, the Jewish people and these Jewish believers only thought the two different people. Jewish people and then those mean, nasty, ugly, stinky, pagan people, right? And to them, the Gentiles and the Greeks were just that. They were unclean. They were dirty. We, we want nothing to do with them. Now, here's what God does, though. God, through the cross, brings together all people from all walks of life, from all nations and tribes and tongues and backgrounds, social classes and and colors and everything else. What he does is he saves them and draws them in and makes what's called the church, the body and the bride of Christ. And that one day, each person, the, the African believer today who's never read my Bible or held a hymn book and has only sung his songs in his own tongue will one day be in the same heaven that I'm going to be in. And you know what's going to happen that day? It's not going to matter a lick. What's going to matter is that we're all going to be standing before Christ. And what he has done for us is enough for them. It's enough for me. It's enough for you today. Have you trusted in that cross? You see, the perception of that cross during that day was something that was terrible. The Jews and the Greeks both hated the cross. The Jews hated it because they saw plenty of people killed and murdered by the cross. The Greeks loved the cross in the sense that they loved to to torture people and to kill those who they found guilty. But both looked at it as something that was terrible and awful. God would certainly not die on the cross for his people. A Savior, a Messiah, would certainly not do such a, 
a terrible thing or a mind-boggling thing. Right? He's the king. He's going to come in and he's going to rid us of the Romans. And what happens here instead is this. The Jews say this. For the Jews, verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jewish perception of the cross was that Jesus died a rebel. They believed that Jesus died for nothing. However, it couldn't be further from the truth. You see, the Jewish people thought that the Messiah would come and would just defeat the Romans and would come in a conquering king. If Jesus would have done that, I still don't think the Jewish people would have followed. The Bible says that he was going to come to his own and his own would receive him not. They would despise and reject him. He would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's who Christ was. The cross during this day meant that you were guilty, that you were to be punished, that you were someone who would be spit upon and, and all of these things, all the things that Jesus faced. But was he guilty? No. The guiltless died for the guilty. You see, the Jews wanted not the work of Christ on the cross, but they wanted signs and wonders. As a matter of fact, as Jesus is walking around, they would say, show us a sign. What more of a sign could he do? He fulfilled the scriptures. He was born the same place, the right time, the whole nine yards, the, the right mom. I mean, all of it. And then he even goes about it, preaching and teaching the way of the Lord. He then goes offering the kingdom. He then goes and, and continues to, to do these works and healings. And what do they have to say? Hey, why would you do that miracle on the Sabbath day? <laughs> right? They say, well, how come you did this? Or, or how come you didn't wash your hands before you ate your food? Right, can't do that no more, right? Gosh, missed the, the good old days. God's perception here is that he's looking down and he says from all of human history, even before the foundation of the world, the cross must happen in order to redeem sinful man. And the Jews say, well, we just want a sign. And that's an awful lot like us today, isn't it? You see, it's not just charismatic churches that do this today. It's a whole lot of us Baptists who say we believe the Bible. And what do we say? We question God and we say, God, if you want this to happen, give us a sign. And what we're looking for is a sign that's neon sign. that says open, closed, yes, maybe, no, wait, all that stuff. Y'all, literally, I don't know if y'all know this, they put speed limit signs out there. And we don't even follow those, right? You think if God puts down a sign that somehow you're going to magically go, well, that, that's enough for me. Jesus looked at them and said, it's a wicked and a perverse generation that seeketh after a sign. He says, I'm going to give you one sign. It's going to be the sign of the prophet Jonas. He said, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth three days, three nights, and I'm going to rise again to offer life. That's what Christ did. That's what Jesus did. The cross and the work on the cross is so central, but he got up from that grave. Why? To show us that it was finished on the cross and it's redeemed and declared through that power of the resurrection. And the Jews just wanted signs and wonders. And there's many of us today who are saying, God, just show me a sign and a wonder and I'll believe. No, you won't. If the work of the cross, you're looking for a sign? Look no further than the cross. The second class of people, it says, in the Greeks, that they seek after wisdom. You see, the Jewish people, they were the kind of people that are probably like a lot of, a lot of us. Maybe not. We're just your average person. You know, we don't have the degrees. We don't have the sort of learned thinking and big words and all that stuff. We don't use dictionaries and the sources and all that stuff, okay? Right? We're just normal, plain people, and so we just want to see a sign or a miracle, and then we'll believe. But the Jews, it wasn't good enough. Y'all remember the Jewish people, they had literally watched God send ten plagues, part the Red Sea, feed them with manna and, and all of these things, and they still said, 
Nope, not enough. We'd rather be back in Egypt. You know, they, he gave them the written word, and they said, well, we had it better off in Egypt, in bondage and slavery. That's what most of us live like. Most of us today live like practical atheists. And it's a shame. You know, the Greeks, on the other hand, though, they were the ones that liked the big words. They're the ones that say, don't just, I don't care about the signs of the wonder. I want you to prove to me in your oratory, logical way of explanation, right? They, they were the ones that would say, everything has a scientific explanation. Everything has a, a way around. Everything has a logical reason. God says, my ways aren't your ways. See, it wasn't logical for the Messiah to die on a cross. For them, it was logical and a sign or a wonder for the Messiah to come and to rid the world of all the problems and to set up shop and for them to have just all their cake and eat it too, right? And, and that's what we want most days, isn't it? We don't want the hardships of life. And I'm not saying we're called to want the hardships, but we're called to go through them. How do we get through them? Pointing and looking at the cross of Jesus. If Christ could go through that and humble himself and to be humbled even to the death of the cross, despised and full of shame, Certainly we can carry our cross Monday through Saturday and Sunday, right? Certainly we can live like Christians. These Greeks, though, they didn't care about the wonders. They wanted these beautiful, long, big words to prove them. They wanted the logic. But both of them are the same coin. They're just a different side of it. Both of them are the coin of foolishness. And when they both look at, cross, at the cross, you could have the Jewish person, <coughs> excuse me, and the Greek over here, and the cross in the middle, and both are going to see the same thing, foolishness. Except the one is desiring wonders and signs and all the hype and all the emotionalism and all the running around and all this, give me that, right? And the other one wants stoicism. And let me sit on the pew and expound to you with large words and all these things, right? But what do they both see? They both see foolishness, and both of them are perishing. See, today there's plenty of people who are on church pews who are living just like this. They want signs and wonders, or they're just going, just give me the big words. They want, imp they want filled heads, but no heart, or they want all hands, outward work, and no heart. But what's the missing point? It meets there in the heart, which is faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ on what he's done for us. It's not just enough to know logically about who God is. It's not even just enough to try to work your way and do the right things, and God will show signs and all that stuff. It's right here in the middle. The cross is central. There's a lot of people in this ditch, and then they try to correct, and they end up in the other ditch. But there in the middle is the cross of Christ. We see further on in this. And I'd ask your heart today, and really mine, what do we really believe and think about the cross? What does it really mean to us? And for you, lost person today, what do you think of the cross today? Because right now, if you think it's foolishness, I beg of you to repent and trust Jesus. And today, if you're saved and you go, well, I've heard this before, this message really isn't for me, then go ahead and repent and believe too. Because this is for all of us. Because we are either over here, over there, and we've got to get back to just focusing on the cross of Christ. If we desire God to use us, if we desire to see God work in our lives, it's not going to be through any sign or wonder, any work that we do, or even our own logical ability. It's going to come through Jesus, Jesus alone. Which side are you on? Where do you stand? What do you see when you see the cross? 
hopefully today there is a spirit of renewal in our own hearts. Those of us who have been saved for so long that when we see the cross and we drive down the street and we see telephone poles, we think about the cross. That when we see plus signs, we think about the cross. When we see the lights that have crosses on them, y'all know they were put there for a reason? To point us to the cross. Lastly, we find the purpose of the cross. The purpose is to bring together the Jew and the Greek under the banner of the cross. The purpose is to demonstrate God's power ultimately. And that's what we find here. Verse number 24 says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, it is the preaching. It is the power of God to preach Christ and Christ crucified. It's not just enough. There, there's not going to be any unity in just preaching about Jesus as a moral person. We don't need just Jesus as a moral figure because he's not just a moral figure. He's the Savior. He's not just a good example. He's the example, and he's the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer. He's the only one that can save your soul and change your life. He's the only one that can empower and grow churches. He's the only one that can change communities. He's the only one that can be at peace in a time of storm. He's the only one that can do the work of salvation. He's the only one that we need. Jesus is all we need. We find the purpose continues as we show and God demonstrates himself in the next few verses to show, look, man thinks this and man is flat wrong. You think about this. We've seen in the past year and a half man's wisdom, <laughs> haven't we? I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. Let's be honest. We've got a bunch of people who don't really use logic and don't even know what they're doing over here either, right? Everywhere except for the cross, right? We, we find that there's been plenty of people who try to explain things and have their discussions and have their ideologies and their philosophies and their policies and all of these things put out there. What we find is that man is always just man. And, and, and at best, you know what man really is? Just sinful, unholy, unrighteous, and far from God. No matter what we would come up with, it would not come close to what God would come up with. If us and God looked at two plus two, we'd have five, he'd have four every time. We just, we don't think like he does. We're not God and his ways are not our ways. If it was up to us to save souls or to be redeemed, it would be through our works and it would never happen. We would try to make a way that man could do it. That's why the Pharisees added on to the law. Why? So they could try to keep something themselves. But they could pass on this oral tradition that maybe they could keep it because they know deep down we can't keep the law. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. So you go, where's our hope? It's only in the cross. It draws us together. It demonstrates the power of God. He moves on and God says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Does God have any foolishness about him? Of course not. What's he talking about? He's saying if God had any ounce of foolishness, it's still smarter than man. He's saying this. He goes on, he says, what about the weakness of God? It's stronger than men. Is God weak? No, not a bit. Little children's song, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I'm not going to do the hand motions for you today. That's, <laughs> come back tonight, maybe. <laughs> we'll all do it. My God is a big God. My God is a powerful God. And even the, the, 
little ounce of who God is is far greater than what all the world could muster. You see, there was a time where man thought that he could get to God and that he could show off his strength and make a name for himself, and he built this great big old tower. You know what God did? God said it's nothing. You can work and try to build your own kingdom, and it will fall and crumble. And we're all guilty of it. Let's not, let's not pretend. We all try to make things happen, our own power, our own might, our own way of thinking. And what happens? It always falls short. It always disappoints us or others. So what do we need? We need God. We need his way and not our way. You see, it says in verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You see, the wise man looks at the cross and says, it's foolishness. There's got to be a logical explanation. The world would say any other way but the way of the cross. And God says, that's the way I'm choosing. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The strong man would say, well, we don't need the cross. We need to just go fight the Romans and defeat them, and we can do it. God says, no, I'm going to choose the weak, sad, terrible death of the cross. And that's going to be the way I save souls. You see, his ways are not our ways. He chooses the unexpected, and he uses the unexpected. He uses the least of these because he's come to save the least of these. The last might be first, and the first shall be last. He didn't come for just the religious elites today. He didn't come just for those who look the part and act the part and say the part. Right? Those are what we would call, and what Jesus called hypocrites. Jesus came to die to save those who would humbly come to him by grace alone, through faith alone. I have nothing, nothing. As the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Today, what are we clinging to? You see, the Lord continues and he says, in the base things of this world, the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, because I have nothing to glory in. You have nothing to glory in. The only thing we have to glory in, if we're going to glory at all, there'll be glory in the Lord and in the cross of Christ. It says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The cross demonstrates the beautiful power, the might of God, that through the cross we can be justified, meaning declared righteous, as he just says in verse 30. We receive his righteousness and he receives our filth and our disgustingness. He who knew no sin became sin. He didn't just pay the price for our sin, but he became every nasty thought and every evil deed that I would ever commit. He did it because I couldn't pay the price. I couldn't bear the weight. I couldn't make it right. Only he can through the cross. Not only does it demonstrate the power of God in my justification, but he says in verse 30, in my sanctification. That means that in my day-to-day life, after I've been saved, what do I need? I need the cross yet still. It means, as it's sung, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. I need thee every hour. Because there's not a day or a moment that goes by 
that I don't need to look to the cross to see that there at the cross it's been finished and paid for, that there's hope for my future, and that he's with me today because he's not still on that cross. He's risen and dwelling believers. And then we find this word redemption. There is the power of God demonstrating and that one day we'll be glorified, fully, completely redeemed forever and forever and forever and forever. And after forever comes, we still got forever today. Today, as we bring this all to wrap it all up, I don't want to put a nice little bow on it. I don't want to put a nice little tag on the end of the sermon. I don't want it to look good. I don't want wise words. I don't want all the logic I could give you. I don't want all the charismaticism I could give you. What I want to give to you now and what we all need and what I need now is nothing pretty, nothing to really be proud about or to be excited or all that worked up. It's something that the world would even call foolishness. It's an old, rugged, blood-stained cross. The same cross of which Jesus died for your sins and mine. The same cross that today, if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, that you would bow your knee and be saved. And today, the rest of us who are saved, that we would come before that same exact cross and that we would be able to experience the power of God again. Because today, if we're honest, we're about like most gas stations today. We're probably about empty. That's why we gather here today. To refill up. What do we need to be filled up on? What Jesus has done. There is nothing that can fill our hearts or our souls more than Jesus. Today, in just a moment, we're going to have kind of an invitation. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And the piano is just going to play. And if you have a need, if you need to be saved, come and grab me, Pastor Mike, somebody. And we'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Today, if you just need to pray and thank God for the cross or to ask for strength or encouragement, whatever it is, this author's open. And we're not going to drag it out. But if you need Jesus today, would you come? Today, as we take this time, we focus on the cross that it may empower us because it is the power of God. Today, may that power be demonstrated in our lives. Let us stand. And as a song plays, if you have a need, would you come?
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time now. Thank you for your word. Thank you for those who have come and bowed down before your cross today. Lord, we thank you that we can praise you and worship you. And Lord, today, as we come and we go to sing and, and to praise your name and just to, to leave from this place today, God, prepare our hearts for it. Lord, I thank you for this time and for your word and for this opportunity. Watch over us now, Lord, that you might get the glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask Pastor Joe and your family if you'd hit on to the back so folks could shake your hand, give you an elbow, whatever. What a great message, amen. Don't we need more on the cross? Boy, I tell you what. Listen, keep the main thing the main thing. That's, 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 if, uh, if you need something to take out of here, take that out of here, and that is the main thing. Uh, tonight, just want you to kind of know what's all going to shake out and how things are going to happen. Be here at 6.30, uh, Pastor Joe, even without his jacket. We're <laughs> I still recommend him. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so uh, uh, the, the search committee has selected him uh, and presenting you tonight to vote as their next pastor. He has my full 100,000% endorsement, and, uh, and I think he's the right man and the right time for the, for the position. And so... Uh, tonight, you come in at 6.30. Here's what we're going to do. You come in, and there's going to be, uh, obviously, we'll, we'll spend a few minutes in prayer, and uh, there'll be an open time for you to ask a few questions, if you something you want to ask him to get to know better. Uh, let me encourage you to do this. Come and ask whatever you want to ask so you can get to know him and you feel comfortable and so forth, but don't be that person. Do I need to say any more? Right, y'all know what I mean by that, right? Don't be that person. Uh, come ask what you need to ask, and, and uh, he'll handle himself. Don't worry about that. And he'll answer your questions. I believe you'll you'll leave here uh, uh, feeling more confident. And then tonight, after that time is done, there's going to be a vote. You'll count the vote. Uh, we'll send them out of the room. They'll count the vote. The search committee will, and uh, come back in, and we'll get your yay or nay whether you got your new pastor, and we'll figure the rest out from there. All right. So that's tonight, 6:30. Come join us, and uh, and what a, again, what a tremendous message. Keep it about the cross. Hey, go tell somebody today about what Jesus did for you on that cross. Let's pray. Or no, let's just sing. How about that? We'll just, he already prayed. So you, you sing us and we'll sing out of here. All right. Before we go out and proclaim our redemption, let's sing Redeemed. Redeemed. 